a charismatic leader, a devoted group of followers, the largest military force ever gathered against a civilian. The siege at Waco brought an end to David Koresh's reign. Was he a persecuted messiah or an apocalyptic madman brought to justice by the government? Today's episode is The Branch Davidians. In the night, your heart fills with dread Probably a murderer who wants you dead It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse It's hopeless, you're doomed You'd call a priest if you could You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood My friend Megan asked me when I first started doing this show if I ever got nightmares from all the things we talked about. And I've really never had nightmares mm-hmm. until ever. Um, no, I have night terrors a lot. It's just usually stress dreams. Uh-huh. But specifically about topics from the show, I never have had any oh, nightmares yeah. until this topic. Really? On Saturday night, I came home. I left a fun bar <laughs> where some there was a handsome gentleman and some nice people. Saturday or Friday? I'm sorry, Friday. Oh. I left a bar and I came home to listen to an audio book about Waco. <laughs> What dream did you have? I dreamt that I had a baby and that I had left her at the daycare and forgotten about her. And I had fallen asleep in bed with AirPods in. Yeah, I'm a douchebag that wears AirPods. Whatever. (laughs) What do you want to make of it? And I woke up out of my bed and I started pacing around my room yelling, my baby, my baby. And it wasn't until – In real life you did this? I got up out of bed in real life and woke myself up. I was like sleepwalking. Whoa. And I looked down and the two dogs were kind of staring at me like, bitch, what is wrong with you? (laughs) And I realized it was a dream and I had to stop myself and be like, you didn't have a kid. You don't have a kid. You don't – you didn't leave your kid at daycare. I have – that nightmare regularly. Well, that I something I'm always protecting Ella from something. Didn't you have a dream where a giant bird or something swooped in the yard and took her? I feel like you told no, me that story. I don't story. think so. I Maybe feel like you told me that. I don't remember that if I did, which is surprising. But I do have dreams all the time that I'm having to physically protect her from something, or we're running away from a scary situation, or someone's trying to get her, and I'm protecting her. It's being a parent's real scary. Well, spoiler in both conscious world and subconscious world. <laughs> I was going to say, spoiler alert for this show: a lot of children mm-hmm. are uh, do not make it out. No, it's at very the end, sad. and I think that was the part of the book I was at. Yeah, that caused me to have that, that makes, nightmare. That makes sense. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And today we are talking about the cult, the Branch Davidians. And one thing I've learned, Heather, is that a lot of young people do not know or remember who the Branch Davidians are. There were a lot of my friends recently or students I have in class asked, what is y'all's topic this week? And I said, the Branch Davidians. And they go, who's that? And I just looked at them like they were speaking a different language. And I said, the Waco cult. And then they go, oh, the Waco cult. But to me, I remember this happening so vividly that it's crazy to think that there are people who don't don't know what this was. There are going to be kids that don't know what 9-11 was. Just kidding. We'll never forget. I mean, like, I I think that's maybe something that you more... Well, learn you learn about, about in the history school. books and things like a lot that. More. But I mean, and they and they commemorate it every year. We all know what Jonestown was, and none of us were alive for that. I guess that's true. I do remember being a kid and watching the fire going mm-hmm. down on the TV, 
And much like with the Bronco chase, the OJ Bronco mm-hmm. chase, just asking my parents, why do we care? Mm. And at the time, I don't think my mom wanted to say a bunch of families are being burned to death by the U.S. government. <laughs> she just said, you know, it's a big thing. It's a big, important news event. And they got, they're all burnt up. Yeah, and yes. I mean, that's. I, but there, that's no, but, in this case, that saying is very accurate. Well, then whenever you whenever we did the research, I, I realized this is a massive, insane tragedy yeah. that I don't think is adequately covered in our history books. I, I would agree with that. And Waco has done a great job of rebranding. Just brushing this right under well, the rug. Well, they've rebranded themselves as more than cults. We have Chip <laughs> and Joanna Games. And a giant university. There's a kick-ass article in the New York Times by Paige Skinner called Waco Reborn. And it talks about Waco now and how mm. you can go on these tours and it'll take you around to the Chip and Joanna fixer-upper houses and their store and their ice cream parlor and all these places. Did Chip and Joanna fix up Mount Carmel? They Is that on girl, the tour? I mean, they should have. If anybody, this place was a shithole. And if anybody could have, they'd be like, step one, we're going to put plumbing and heat, right. central heat. Step maybe? two, do you like shellacking? Do what they, is that stuff she always puts, or, or wainscoting? Wainscoting, I do. <laughs> she loves wainscoting. By the way, girl, love wainscoting. Wainscoting is a very cheap way to update a look. It classes up. My, mm, my dining room was wainscoted. It's very classy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But they say that nowadays when you ask about that that most people in Waco try to say, you know, that's not really. You know, we don't talk about this, but do you know about Magnolia? <laughs> do you want to go to the ice cream parlor? <laughs> but, I mean, you can't blame them. No, for sure, for sure. So what is, for our our uh, unwashed masses. Our young listeners. So who were the Branch Davidians? It all kind of starts out in 1929 when a man named Victor Haltef, a Seventh-day Adventist school teacher in Southern California, claimed he had a new message for the church and presented these new teachings in a book called The Shepherd's Rod. It's a very aggressive title. The Shepherd's Rod? Yeah, if you don't listen, you you get whacked. (laughs) Yeah. The Adventist leadership rejected Haltaf's views as contrary to the Adventist basic teachings, and Haltaf and his followers were disfellowshipped. Now, Seventh-day Adventists believe that Saturday is the Sabbath. Yes, not much Sunday. like Judaism. Yes, not Sunday. And then they also believe a couple other things that separate them from mainstream Christianity. But they are, at the end of the day, a sect of Christianity. Sure. They believe the Bible and believe Jesus is the Messiah, etc. Yes, yes. They do believe that the end time is coming imminently. Yes. They do believe end of days is near. Yes. Or nigh. Which is nigh. Yes. Well, after this schism, Haltev started a new branch of the religion called the Shepherd's Rod. And he and his followers moved to the west of Waco, Texas, where they set up headquarters at the Mount Carmel Center. Not as delicious as it sounds. No, no it's not. It's also just, spelled differently. It's kind of flat dirt, and when it rains, it's very muddy. Yes, not chewy. Hundred Over 100 degrees in the summer. It can get pretty chilly in the winter. Mm-hmm. It is an unforgivingly it's kind harsh. of the worst of all things. I will say it's in Texas, though, so hell yeah. yeah. You made the right choice, brother. Yeah. In 1942, Haltef renamed the group the General Association of Davidian Seventh-day Adventists. That's a mouthful, first of all. It's a really long rebrand. Davidian indicating the belief in the restoration of the Davidic Kingdom of Israel. All right. After Haltef passed away in 1955, his devotees continued to follow the teachings under his wife Florence's leadership. Hey, hell yeah for letting the wife take over. Mm-hmm. Well, he had to die for it to happen. Well, but still. that's true. You know what? It's a small sacrifice. Yeah, we pick and choose our battles. 
1959, Florence, convinced the apocalypse was imminent, gathered all of her followers at the Mount Carmel compound for what she believed was the end of days. The problem is you say that it's the rapture of the mm-hmm. apocalypse. Then it doesn't happen. Which we see time and time again in most cults. Well, all cults, because the end of days has never happened. When I worked at Sea Dog, it was the day that it was supposed to be the rapture. And I think it was in 2010. According to whom? Oh, some some cult leader. But it was mm-hmm. kind of a meme at the time. And Oh, I, it was the... Uh, wasn't it the calendar, the Mayan calendar? Maybe that's what I it think, was. Yeah, no, because that would have been 2012. It was before that. Okay. It was some cult leader. And I remember we had to work, and it was something like a Wednesday. So there weren't a ton of people on the pier, and we were bored. <laughs> and I started doing resurrection or <laughs> rapture specials, and I sold tickets <laughs> for $7.77. Oh, very nice. And we were going to be out on the water at the time the rapture was supposed to happen. And I would tell people, where would you rather be? <laughs> Wouldn't you rather <laughs> did be? Did you sell a lot? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, nice. we did. And it was mostly it was just people who thought it was funny. <laughs> Sure, sure. But, hey, also, I'd rather be learning about architecture out on a beautiful river as opposed to just driving in my car, maybe. This was was the lakefront cruise, Christy. I'm sorry. Sea Dog Ventures has three main cruises. We have the lakefront speedboat ride, which is – I'm just kidding. I could totally still quote. (laughs) I don't know if any of you – I mean, I'm sure some of you guys had a job from when you were in college or in high school that you have not nightmares, but you have dreams that you're doing it still and that you could still, like, recite the menu from the Applebee's. I just have nightmares that I'm still at that job. Yeah, but you can, like, recite the the menu from the Chili's that you worked at. I can still do most of the architecture tour and the spiels for all the boats. Hey, if shit goes sideways with this or being a lawyer, you know you've got a home. Heather, Heather would probably rehire me. She's pretty good. <laughs> Heather, not yourself. Correct. Heather, different. <laughs> Heather, the real you Heather, number one. just to third person. Heather would hire Heather. Heather loves Heather. <laughs> well, as you just said, when the anticipated events didn't happen, follower Benjamin Roden became disappointed and formed another splinter group called the Branch Davidians. All right. Sorry, Benjamin, that the world <laughs> sorry, didn't end. We really rained on your parade so by sorry. staying alive. The Branch Davidians believed they were living in a time when biblical prophecies of a final divine judgment were coming to pass as a prelude to Christ's second coming. Roden led this group until his death in 1978, when again his wife Lois took over. Hell yeah, for letting yeah. the wife take over. It was assumed that George Roden, Benjamin and Lois's son, would be next in line for the throne once Lois passed away. However, that all changed when Vernon Howell arrived. Uh-oh. In 1981, Vernon Howell, known as David Koresh after 1990, was 22 years old and living in Houston, Texas, when he began a relationship with a 15-year-old girl who became pregnant. Let's just just very briefly break this down. There's mm-hmm. a man named Vernon Howell yes. from Houston. Eventually, he changes his name to kind of a kick-ass rock star name, David Crush. Yes. But before that, we learn that he is a pervert. <laughs> Well, he was a pervert the entire time. But yeah. I'm saying we, we've now learned that yes. when he's 22, he has relations with a, tw- a very underage girl. Yes. At the time, the age of consent in Texas was 14 with parents permission. Mm-hmm. There's no indication we had that here. Also, just for ease, we're going to refer to him as David Koresh, even though he technically didn't change his name until 1990. Even prior to that, we're just going to go ahead and call him David Koresh because we all know him as that as opposed to Vernon Howe. Yeah, also Vernon Howe just conjures up an image of a chubby librarian guy <laughs> with 
thick sideburns. David Koresh is a hot guitar shredding badass. You know, you know what David Koresh sounds like? It sounds like he had a fucking kick-ass haircut mm. and that he wore a jean shirt with jean pants. And uh, some very sexy shaded aviator glasses. All the fucking time. All the time. Those glasses kill me, man. <laughs> well, because Koresh knocked up this underage girl... He decided to become a born-again Christian and joined a local Southern Baptist church. He sort of goes from one extreme to the other. Yeah, which any overzealot person does. Koresh was extremely religious, but even more rebellious. They said that in, when he was 14, he memorized the New Testament. And when he was 18, he memorized the Old Testament. And he had the whole Bible memorized. and oh could God. pretty much recite it back to front. And that he was real handy with motors and building things. And that he treated the Bible like that, where he would take it apart and put it back together and analyze and say, well, you know, this part of the Old Testament says this, and but this part of the New Testament says this. And when you compare them together, it really means this. He also said when he was a kid that God spoke to him and said that he was the chosen one. Well. So it's hard to follow rules whenever God told you you're the chosen yeah, one. it's also hard to argue with a crazy person. That's true. Well, like Heather said, Koresh was very rebellious and questioned authority. He was constantly questioning and challenging the church leaders and even became obsessed with one of the pastor's daughters. He told the pastor that God wanted him to have his daughter for a wife. Okay, that goes over like, uh, what do they say, a shit sandwich at a picnic? Are you kidding me? <laughs> a turn to punch bowl? A turn, yeah. Yeah. Not standing for this. Well, so not surprisingly. The pastor threw Koresh out of the church. However, this did not deter Koresh from continuing to pursue the young girl, and eventually the pastor expelled him from the church entirely. If you get kicked out of church for harassing a young girl, you might be a sex predator. <laughs> yeah, for, you definitely are a sex predator. Disillusioned and disfellowshipped, Koresh continued to search for spiritual answers and joined his mother's church, the Seventh-day Adventist. In 1983, a family friend told him about the Branch Davidians at Mount Carmel, and Koresh packed up what little he had and drove to Waco, Texas. You know Texas. What, what possessions he probably had was his freaking killer guitar. <laughs> yeah, you he guys was also have... living in his car, so it was very easy to pack up his shit because he just had to put the key in the ignition and go. Pretty much. All also, of his shit was already packed up. A, a part of his life, this part of his life... A little bit after this, and we weren't going to talk a lot about it because we're more focused on the Branch Davidians, but David Thibodeau's book, Waco, A Survivor's Story, mm-hmm. is a lot about – David Thibodeau was a drummer, and that's how he got roped into the Branch Davidians because David Koresh at some point goes to California to try to recruit more members after he joins, and David Thibodeau is one of those members. So his stuff is a ton – David Thibodeau's stuff, a ton of it is about the music career of David Koresh. Which i got to say, I've he, seen a lot of video – he was not bad. Koresh could shred, dude. He could shred. He also could kind of sing. Yeah. I mean, if we're being objective. Yeah, yeah. I mean. He's a sack of shit. He's a sex predator. Sure. But, but he, he could shred on the guitar and he had a good voice. Yes. And people said he had this kind of rock star vibe. So they. Yeah, that's to- why I, said, I was telling you. he. I could see the, the appeal these women had to him because he was kind of this sexy bad boy that also could play the guitar and i don't know oh man i'm not no 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 i was gonna say i'm not into him well as we were researching this i just kept yelling there's no way there's no way i would join there's no way i could join this is so stupid this Mm -hmm. is so stupid if that cult was led by john mayer oh oh, oh, sign me sign me up he is the chosen one yes he is 
Well, not long after Koresh's arrival at the compound, he began a sexual relationship with Lois Roden. Nice. Yeah. Lois was in her late 60s, get it girl, and Koresh was in his late 20s. Can you, we just stop for a second and think about that? Hell yeah, my girl. <laughs> wow. She slays. You slay, oh, Lois. Man. You slay. Koresh justified the relationship by claiming that God had chosen him to father a child with Lois and that the child would be the chosen one. I do appreciate his sense of self-confidence that if anyone could impregnate a six-year-old woman, it was him. Well, it's not a six-year-old woman could get pregnant. It has happened. Really? Don't you have yeah. menopause when you're in your 50s? Well, not everyone. Damn. Sometimes you can. I mean, it it has happened. Well, allegedly, Koresh even announced that Lois was pregnant and that her faith would bring forth their child. Sadly, Lois miscarried, causing Koresh to toss her aside and blame her for the loss of the child, saying her lack of faith caused the miscarriage. If you blame the woman that you impregnated for having a miscarriage, you might be an asshole. <laughs> yes, 100% you are. He then declared... I don't know she, why I'm doing Jeff I, I love it. I love it. Keep it up. <laughs> he then declared that she was not fit to be the spiritual leader because of this and that he was the Messiah. This is... Fuck David Crow. Oh, he's a fucking sack of shit. For, this is about the sixth reason already, but having a miscarriage is so horrible. Very traumatic. So traumatic for a woman. And then to be ousted from your own cult. Yeah. And blamed for it. Blamed for the loss of It was of her, her lack child. of faith. Nah, it's because her fucking insides are all shriveled up like raisins and it's not <laughs> meant for her to have a baby. He was the one that was forcing it. <laughs> I do like, though, that that's a pretty big power move for him to come into a religious sect that is led by a female, but that the next in line is the presumed mm -hmm. son and be say like, I'm going to fuck your mom and take your job. <laughs> Isn't that the definition of a cuckold? Yeah. Well, that's basically? when it's your wife. Okay. Yeah. David Crush is Captain Cook though, because yeah. if you, the it's, we're going to get into it. He's going, he cucks about everybody that walks through that door. <laughs> Well, not surprisingly, Koresh and George Roden did not get along. If they had, that would be very strange. Was it weird someone comes in and starts banging your mom yes, and then fucking, fires her well, from her job? If they come in and bang your mom and they're age appropriate, I don't think it's that weird. Even but if when it's they're not your age, fuck yeah, that's weird. Well, even if it's not age appropriate, love has no numbers. George felt his position as successor was being threatened. And he was deeply bothered by the relationship David Koresh had with his mother. He even later filed a lawsuit in federal court claiming Koresh had raped and brainwashed his mother. Koresh had been adamant about his calling from God since his arrival at Mount Carmel, and after a visit to Israel in 1985, he became even more adamant that he was the one true prophet. They said in Israel he visited the real Mount Carmel, and he was unimpressed. Oh, well, so sorry you what came all this way. I'm sure what about... That Mount Carmel could have been less impressive to the Mount Carmel in Waco, Texas. Come on now. <laughs> Maybe they had toilets there. <laughs> yeah. While in Israel, Koresh claimed he had a divine visitation and that he saw a chariot come down from the heavens. The angels took him up in it higher and higher beyond the constellation Orion. He said he saw advanced civilizations that had laser technology. That's pretty fucking sweet. They had lasers. <laughs> lasers and in the end saw the eternal god when he returned to earth he claimed to understand the bible completely and believed that he had a divine destiny he's like you guys have to listen to me 
There are lasers. <laughs> Everyone's like, what? Go on. In 1986, Lois passed away, and her son George took over leadership of the Branch Davidians. Watch out, George. Mm-hmm. Somebody's coming for you. <laughs> However, less than a year later, Koresh began to rise to power. Followers began to flock to him, and a battle between the two men for spiritual supremacy ensued. Let's be realistic here. It's toxic masculinity at its finest <laughs> cloaked in spiritual supremacy yeah each it was a dick swinging contest that is a was... really good title for a book though <laughs> if you're gonna write that you might want to write that down I'll write that down <laughs> copyright in the late 1980s david koresh and his followers known as koreshians abandoned many of the teachings of the branch davidians Koresh became the group's self-proclaimed final prophet, and those that didn't follow him either continued to follow George Rodin or became independent. So you had and, three choices. Yeah. Follow they Koresh. All, they all suck. Yeah. Follow Koresh. Follow George Rodin. That doesn't suck. Be independent. Yeah. Go live your life. Oh, that's true. You had one choice that didn't suck. Yeah. And at this time, Koresh and his followers also moved to Palestine, which is, what, a couple hours outside of Waco? Palestine, Texas. Do you see Palestine? Palestine? Texans say Palestine. Oh, I just said Palestine. Do Pal I have my Texan card revoked? What the hell, man? You never been I guess it there? is Palestine. It's I Palestine. probably have. That's fine. Palestine. It looks all the same. All that, play all that out there looks Don't the besmirch the good name of Central Texas. I'm sorry. There are so many Buckies along the way. Oh, Buckies. For those of you who don't live in Texas. Fuck, Buckies is so good. Buckies is a giant truck stop that has things called beaver nuggets. I don't even want to. Let's not call it a truck stop because that has a it's certain not even. connotation with it that conjures up an image. Buckies is a goddamn wonderland. It's beautiful. Where you can buy anything tie-dyed t-shirts from a tie-dyed t-shirt to beaver nuggets which are these delicious little sweet morsels they make you can get custom sandwiches oh you want a fucking boat cool we got that too they have grills you want a grill you want some new tires um do you want a, about 58 fucking crosses with rhinestones there's on a them? lot of rhinestone you crosses. can buy all of anything about you get it at bucky's and they have the cleanest bathrooms oh, in Texas. The bathrooms are immaculate. They're it's, cleaner than my bathroom I'd eat off any the, given day. I would eat off the floor at a Bucky's before I would eat off a table at some other establishments. Oh, yeah. I would go in the bathroom and eat my fucking custom made club sandwich on the floor of a Bucky's bathroom they also any have day of the barbecue week. and very good char charcuteries. What are you charcuteries? Charcute that I can't say that word. We can't say that word. But anyway, cheese trays. They got good fancy mm, cheese trays. It's so good. Anyway, it's good. But that's the they pepper the uh, Interstate 35, yeah. which runs from Oklahoma down to Austin mm -hmm. and beyond. So reason enough to take a trip. David Koresh. <laughs> sorry about Bucky. The Bucky diversity. <laughs> I will Actually, never apologize for going true. on a Bucky tangent. Not sorry. <laughs> but David Koresh and his few followers, about 25 followers, go to Palestine and they set up camp in buses and like busted out gross. buses and tents. That's so gross. I can't it's imagine gross. anything more gross. In an effort to regain control of the group, Rodin challenged Koresh in a bizarre-like competition to try and raise the dead. This is so, so cool to me that George Rodin said, all right, motherfucker, <laughs> if you think you're the Messiah, you know what the Messiah can do? Bring people back from the dead. Like a necromancy? Someone give me a body. And they said, we don't have a body. And he said, let's go to the goddamn graveyard. And that's what he did. Rodin even went so far as to exhume a corpse to prove his powers. Koresh used this opportunity to report Rodin's illegal activity to the authorities and attempted to file charges against him. He's a fucking snitch. 
the police told him that without evidence, there wasn't anything they could do. So David Koresh says, let me go get some evidence. All right, bitch. On November 3rd, 1987, Koresh and seven of his followers took five 223 caliber rifles, two 22 caliber rifles, two 12-gauge shotguns, and nearly 400 rounds of ammunition and headed to the Mount Carmel compound to confront George Roden. Sounds like they were going to have a nice, friendly conversation. Very, yes. Civilized man-to-man discussion. They claimed they were going to get photographic evidence of his illegal activity. However, amidst all the weaponry, they did not pack a camera. Oh, son of a bitch. They knew, I knew they I knew something. You always forget one thing. One you're thing. in the car on the way where you're going. You're like, I fucking know I forgot something. What? What? Ammunition. Oh, it's the camera. Yeah, I got the it 12 was, gauge. Was, got the caliber rifle. I got all the guns. Uh, armed with numerous weapons and a map of the compound, Koresh and his followers descended upon Mount Carmel. They found Rodin hiding behind a tree armed with an Uzi. Tight. Yeah, that's pretty That's pretty baller, though. A vicious shootout took place, and by the time the police arrived, Koresh had shot Rodin but had not killed him. That's merciful. Yeah. Well, it was probably unintentional. Yeah, I bet he missed. Koresh and his followers were arrested on charges of attempted murder. During the trial, the jury found the followers not guilty. However, they could not come to a unanimous decision regarding Koresh, which eventually led to a mistrial. Do you think that he would just smolder eye the jurors until they oh, were all yeah. horned up? Yes. He would stand He'd up. He probably also, uh, it breaks, would be out in the courtroom just shredding on his guitar, <laughs> just serenading the, the female jurors. He's a kingly play free bird. I, I would like to know why they couldn't come to an agreement. What What the evidence was presented that didn't, Make them think he was guilty of trying to kill this man. Well, they said, did you see his freaking sweet, tight jeans? Yeah, probably. I couldn't convict that. I'm not going to convict those glasses unless I'm convicting them to my bedroom. In 1987, Koresh had Rodin evicted from the Mount Carmel compound, which led to a tragic downward spiral for Rodin. I mean, what's a man to do when he's ejected from his own cult? Well, in 1989, George Rodin murdered his 56-year-old roommate, Wayman Dale Adair, with an axe blow to the skull after Wayman stated that he was the true messiah. There was a uh, who's on first of messiahs going on. <laughs> there sure was. Rodin believed that Koresh had sent Adair to kill him, and a jury ended up finding him not guilty by reason of insanity. Man. He was sentenced to a psychiatric hospital where he lived out his days until his death in 1998. Have you ever seen Ace Ventura, Pet Detective? Of course. Do you know when he writes laces out a bunch of times over and over again? <laughs> I bet you that George Roden was like, David Koresh, David Koresh, oh, David yeah. Koresh. It's the same like in The Shining. All yes. work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Also, uh, almost as good of a movie, I think, as Ace Ventura, Pet mm, Detective. Almost. 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 In the same vein, for sure. <laughs> It was discovered that Rodin owed back taxes on the Mount Carmel compound. Well, color me surprised. And because of this, Koresh and his followers were able to reclaim the property by paying them. Koresh also discovered there had been a meth lab on the property and called the sheriff to have it removed. Well, that's nice of him. Well, as you say, this is really important. I mean, he could have used that for storage or something. Well, as you say, it's important because it really fostered a good relationship between Mm. Koresh and his followers and not only the sheriff's office, but then the whole town. Yeah. Look at all this good I'm doing. I don't like drugs. We're law-abiding citizens. Mm -hmm. We're just trying to live with our families. We love God, too. 
And that's that's kind of a. It was a, a power move. It was a snaky way to get in. For, I mean, also sure. he just didn't do math. So. Yeah. So he's his, like, it's not a it's not a coke lab. Is well, it? his drug it's of not choice. A speed like he liked some speed too. On August twenty eighth, nineteen ninety, after Vernon Howell succeeded in becoming the sole leader of the group, he legally changed his name to David Koresh, suggesting ties to King David, the King of Israel, and Cyrus the Great, the Messiah. To redeem the true people of God, Koresh meaning Cyrus in Hebrew. Koresh now had absolute power with no one to challenge his authority. His followers truly believed he was an incarnation of God. Life at Mount Carmel was no walk in the park, though. There was no running water, heat, or electricity. Followers had to attend mandatory Bible study three times a day, and most days started with a 5 a.m. wake up call to either build a new structure or improve the dilapidated ones they already had. Women were not allowed to wear makeup and had to wear long shirts that covered their butts so as not to tempt the men. Hmm. Food restrictions were also very strict. Dairy was not allowed because... Deal breaker. Milk is for babies. Milk is for babies. Followers couldn't have anything with sugar or processed flour, and even certain fruits weren't allowed to be eaten together. So, so weirdly, con- just all this, and this is typical of cult leaders, but just controlling all these very little things Correct. that people think are innocuous. Oh, it doesn't matter that we can't have bananas and apples together. But why can't you? Because he's controlling because he every little so. move you make. They, yes. y- he used it. And he would see if he saw someone cheat, he would say, oh, you're so weak. I Mm -hmm. knew I knew you wouldn't be. Everything was a test. Yes. And David Thibodeau talks about it in his book that they went to California to try to recruit new members. And Koresh was in the other room and David Thibodeau, who's not a small man. He's larger. He's a hefty boy. And he snuck a candy bar or like woofed a candy bar into the other followers said, don't tell David that I did this. And of course, everybody tells David everybody, everything. They were terrified. Of and he said, Thibodeau, I'm so disappointed in you. You're such a you're so weak. You can't even, you know, stick it out. So I think it was used as like you said, it was a way not only to control their behavior, but also to have them prove how much they loved him yes. and how devoted they were. Researching this, I just could not think of something I believed in enough to give up cheese. <laughs> That's fair, honestly. The no makeup thing, I'm kind of into. Oh, yeah, that would make my life a little easier, honestly. And I'll wear long shirts sometimes. I always wear shirts to cover my ass. Yeah. So those things, waking up at 5 a.m. to work? No. They no, said they did say women could sleep in as late as they want, and they oh, made men. Okay. And, yeah. I'm back on board. Yeah, they made the men and okay, the young boys Okay, all right, all right. I don't want to shit in a bucket, though. That's the thing. There's no running water, so they had chamber pots that they would poop and pee in, and then they would have no. to go and dump them outside. Mm-mm. No. No, I don't want to do that either. No. And no heat? No. No air conditioning? I, that's what would get me more is the no AC. No AC in the summertime? Because I'm always hot, so I don't need the heater a lot. But I do need an AC. But he also wanted to keep it shitty because if people – now, if there's a lot of amenities, if this is a Sure. You start, to get a little, you start to get a little lackadaisical in your practices. Exactly. Well, also his thing was if this is like a nice resort with a pool and delicious food, people would come just for that. This was a shithole with no heat. The walls were paper thin. You couldn't have sex with anybody except David Koresh. <laughs> you couldn't eat ice Another cream. reason I'm out. There was no ice cream sandwiches anywhere, no cheese. So the people that were there, he reasoned, were there because they believed and they wanted to be there. Sure. There were no amenities. No. I'm very big on amenities. As you should be. In addition to controlling his followers' food, Koresh also controlled their relationships. 
which is, again, another very, we see this with all cult leaders. It starts off where everybody's hunky-dory, getting along. Oh, we're just living in a commune. Everybody's, it takes a village. Oh, yeah, until he's fucking your wife and you can't eat uh, flour anymore. No more donuts, no more (laughs) sex with your husband. Come on. By this time, he had married a follower named Rachel Jones, with whom he had fathered a child. Koresh claimed that he had a vision that he was supposed to also have children with Michelle Jones, Rachel's 13-year-old sister. I'm sensing a pattern with David Koresh. Yeah. He claimed he did not want to. Oh, a likely story. Uh But that God kept visiting him in his dreams and telling him that if he did not, then it would cause the apocalypse. It's a little dramatic. Uh, He's a drama queen. Yeah. Rachel was hurt, but eventually also had a dream that David and Michelle had to be married as well. Her parents blessed the union and David took Michelle as his wife. Papa Jones said, what? What was I to do? The Messiah wanted to make my daughter his wife. I had to I had to do it. And it's very easy to get angry at these parents. And in watching the – it's on Hulu, the uh, Waco Madman or Messiah. There's It's a two-part series. It's very good. It has, I think, over 247 tapes from the FBI talking to Koresh. So you get to hear a lot of his madman ramblings. That hasn't been heard before. Yes. And there's also a lot of footage of him at the compound preaching to the followers and even – Bleeding to death. The day when when shit goes down. But it also has interviews with nine of the survivors of this entire thing who all but one are still drinking the Kool-Aid. They're still followers of David. The They're one lady, very apologetic of him. They they still think he was the Messiah. They think they did nothing wrong. No. That, and one lady cries and says, my whole life was here and it's gone yeah. and I have nothing now. And it was very difficult for me to watch one in particular, her name was Kat Schroeder because she had children with him and I think children from her previous husband. But they were all such terrible parents. And she says time and time again, I wasn't interested in what I thought a good mom would do. I was interested in doing what God wanted me to do. And David Crush was God. Yes. So they would abandon their children and Teach their children how to use guns. Teach their children, hey, if shit goes down, you know you got to kill yourself, right? And she doesn't really have an attachment to her kids, and it's easy to get angry at that, but she is devastatingly brainwashed. Still. And, you ha- and, and still. They would so, beat the shit out of the kids with this uh, wooden paddle to where they would bleed. The kids would yeah. bleed. He would even spank adults, too, which is weird to me, but that's fine. Again, controlling. He's just controlling and abusive. But they said that the most widespread thing was him encouraging the parents or him spanking the shit out of the parents. David Thibodeau claims it wasn't that bad that – and again, David Thibodeau is a survivor – I don't know that he got spanked, but he said when kids got spanked that he would see them understand, take the spanking, understand, listen to David and accept their punishment and run off. And the FBI later will learn that there is a breakdown in marital relationships and father parent child relationships that totally undermine normal negotiation techniques. So you didn't have the pull between spouses to go get your husband or go get your wife out. And you didn't have that pull between, well, you should listen to your mom and dad, or don't you want to save your kids? It was literally so David Koresh centered that people just wanted to do whatever it took to save him. Exactly. They were willing to die in their sword. And they were willing to give their kids up as sacrifices. And, and they did. And so 
when he, this dad is saying, well, what am I going to do? The Messiah wants to have sex with my 13-year-old. To any rational thinking person, that's insane. And you would never let that happen. And it's 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 13, it's rape man. and it's sexual assault. But they thought that it was the highest honor possible. Yes. It was a huge gift to be chosen as his wife because he said that he was the prophet, the Messiah, and then God is separate from him. And he would get messages from God saying, you, Michelle, yeah. you're the best. You're the chosen one. Mm-hmm. And that some women would get like offended or their feelings hurt if he didn't choose them to be oh, his I'm wife. Oh, I'm sure you'd get real butt hurt if, they, re- if you rejected. didn't come to him in a vision. The McLennan County Sheriff, Parnell McNamara, which who I love. such a great name. Well, <laughs> great name. And then he's on that A&E yes, show, he's too. Great. He's badass. And he's still the sheriff in, in McLennan County, yeah. too. He said one major problem with prosecuting the sexual offenses in the cult was that at the time, the age of consent with parental permission was 14 in Texas, which seems so crazy. They changed the law this in 1995. This wasn't that long ago. Yeah, they changed the law in 95. Wild. Many parents were consenting to Koresh making their daughters his wives, so there were no interested parties to file charges. The parents were flattered to have their daughters chosen, and the young girls thought it was the highest honor possible to be chosen as one of God's wives. The age of consent in Texas is now 17. There's another documentary on ABC, which you can also watch on Hulu, and this will all be in the show notes, called Inside Waco, and it has an interview with Kiri who is a female survivor who was a child at the time who was groomed by Koresh and eventually made to be one of his wives. And she talks about that in addition to the just physical abuse that the kids suffered, there wasn't rampant sexual abuse like in some cults, but there was when David, he was the only one that preached when Mm -hmm. he would do his three times a day preaching, he would speak very sexually explicitly Mm. about just sexual things and husbands and wives and marriages and she taught and you know marital beds and she talks about in the show that from like a very young age she was exposed to that and that psychologists have then said in later articles talking about the kids of Waco that it really does damage you the kids aren't equipped to learn no. about that or think about that Mm-mm. but that he would say that basically to groom them oh for sure yeah the the more barriers are broken down at an earlier age the fewer he has to break down when push comes to shove. It was around this time that Koresh also introduced the new light, which meant that all current marriages between followers were now annulled. So this kind of sucked for people because at the time they joined up with their spouses Mm -hmm. of sometimes 10 to 20 years, Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden they weren't married anymore. The former husband and wives were no longer allowed to kiss, hold hands, or live together. The husbands were split up from their wives and moved to the housing section for the single men. That was on the bottom floor. All of the women lived together. And because Koresh claimed he was the only one that could produce righteous children, they were to only have sex and babies with him. They said that the women co-parented all the kids together, would like help each other out, but that... Koresh did try to sort of foster jealousy between them and would be like, well, so-and-so is a better wife than you. Again, controlling all He's controlling. Everything. Yes, mm-hmm. he's a controlling problem. And he, and he then becomes the fixer and the savior when yes. he creates turmoil between two women. And then he later goes and fixes it 
they look at him as their savior. Correct. There's a really sad story about a couple that was together 20 years. He breaks them up. He convinces the husband that his wife wasn't a virgin when they met. He gaslights the wife and tells her she has repressed memory. She believes him. But that basically these men started getting really pissed off because they weren't able to have sex with anyone. You also weren't allowed to masturbate. Good you had to be Lord. completely celibate. Everything is literally running to blow. And you really weren't supposed to talk about it either. David Thibodeau talks about he and another guy would kind of like joke around about it maybe. But that for the most part, people would say, I'm very happy with this. Yeah. The Messiah wants it and I'm happy. It's, it's, it's uh, cult 101 that you can't have. Eventually it becomes you can't have sex with anybody or masturbate because, again, it's just control. A very controlling way to to have control over everyone. And David Thibodeau's book, which I do not recommend only because it's very long and it's very self uh, patting on the back as far as trying to convince you that maybe you would have joined if you had the opportunity. Mm. At some point, like, I thought... It's not my fault. I'm not as dumb as everyone thinks I was. That is the thesis of this book, yeah. as if you were there, you probably would have done it too. No, 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 sir. I would right. not have. But he talks about how he was celibate for seven months, I think, for a really long time, but that they would go to these bars and play music shows in Waco. David Crush would go, and then some other followers would go and play... David Thibodeau played the drums, and he talks about how he had been celibate for like se- like seven months or ten months and then he hooks up with this waitress and she goes down on him in the back of the car <laughs> and I just thought that oh poor lady God. that poor lady I although it was probably about the, the shortest encounter yeah but my god it's like drinking from a water hose and then <laughs> <laughs> When all you want is a, a sip of <laughs> sip a little tap water. Yeah. So he had a lot of hot takes about how he was really happy and it was not a bad place. So I think that's Well, just, he was also not following the rules. That's true. He was the one that was shoving candy bars in his yeah. mouth and shoving waitresses was, in his pants. <laughs> he was doing everything you weren't supposed to do. Yeah, not a very good follower. Koresh believed he was to father 24 children to be the new generation and began to take spiritual wives, some as young as 12 years old, to create a new lineage of world rulers. He's just a sex predator. Oh, absolutely he is. It was this disgusting and illegal behavior that finally caused Koresh's longtime devotee and deputy, Mark Brule, to leave the compound. After Brule escaped to Australia, where his girlfriend and fellow Branch Davidian lived, they began to contact the authorities to tell them they needed to investigate what was really going on at Mount Carmel. According to Mark, no one would listen, and their pleas for help fell on deaf ears. Eventually, Child Protective Services investigated. But again, because none of their parents believed the abuse that was taking place was wrong, the truth was not being disclosed, and CPS could not move forward. Two years later, in 1992, the sound of automatic gunfire coming from the compound would finally get the authorities' attention. And this book I read called The Waco Siege, An American Tragedy by Jack Rosewood, also probably wouldn't recommend. It seems like it's kind of sourced from the internet, but it was kind of a good, concise read. Talks about there's, an, and it's a little bit of a Koresh apology mm. book, but it talks about the article that came out in the Waco Tribune Herald a few months before the siege that basically outlined it, it interviewed a lot of disgruntled former members and outlined some of the behaviors that were going on some true and some untrue and this book by Jack Rosewood postures that it was actually overblown and misleading and it got the ATF all riled up 
the the rules allegations? Well, the article that came out after that. Oh, okay. So the it was two local journalists did like a five part series, I think, in the local newspaper that was profiling the Branch Davidians, and it was just it was like a hit piece. Mm. Like I said, it probably wasn't probably wasn't untrue. Right. Right. David Koresh had been buying and selling guns at trade shows to make some side money. Authorities were getting information that the Branch Davidians were converting weapons to full automatic machine guns. This was not only extremely concerning, but very illegal. So it's legal to have machine guns. Mm -hmm. It's legal to have Mm semi-automatic. It's illegal to have automatic weapons. And to convert non-automatic weapons to automatic yes. weapons. And but it's okay if they wanted to have 10 million semi-automatic rifles, they get to have that. Sure. Around this time, a UPS driver making a delivery to the compound noticed that one of the boxes had busted open and that it contained dummy hand grenades, which when in the wrong hands could easily be converted to live hand grenades. That is quite a incident. If you're yeah. carrying a box and it spills open and a bunch of grenades go everywhere and you're sitting there scooping them back in there go, oh, I'm so sorry, I dropped your package. He immediately contacted the authorities who were now very concerned that David Koresh and the Branch Davidians were manufacturing and stockpiling Weapons. So our friend and listener, Jennifer, knows the UPS driver. That's crazy. The, the, this, yes. So she went to Baylor and her husband also went to Baylor. And her husband lived in Waco when all this was going on and worked at a local grocery store. And the Branch Davidians would come in all the time. Yeah, you were allowed to leave. shopping. You're yeah, allowed you, to leave could the- co- you could come and go. And he saw them all around town. He saw David Koresh around town. He said they were quiet and kept to themselves. But... She says that UPS driver had a lot of guilt about this. Oh, I'm sure, Mm -hmm. because then his report leads the ATF to Mm -hmm. do an investigation. The ATF decided to conduct an undercover investigation, and agent Robert Rodriguez and a few other agents set up camp in a house directly across from Mount Carmel. This was a pretty hilarious description in the inside Waco that they were allegedly college students. They were all 40-ish. They did not look at all they were all. Upper 30s, early 40s, and that when they moved in to the house across the street, which was visible from the compound, Mm -hmm. that they just moved in these huge trunks that were very clearly full of weapons. Oh, they knew they were ATF. Immediately. And and one of the survivors in the the Hulu documentary says they all knew they were ATF, and they kind of just accepted it. And she said, because, again, she's still so brainwashed, that David just— Wanted to preach to them, even if they didn't they care. were against him. He just wanted to befriend them and and let them know the word of God to try and to save them, and which is kind of what happened. Robert Rodriguez, not the filmmaker, the <laughs> ATF agent, no. infiltrated, quote unquote, infiltrates the compound. I think he just went over there and knocked on the door and they said, hey, come on in. Yes. And that eventually and for a long time, they sort of played into the ruse. David played into the ruse and took him shooting with him and let him just walk around freely and let him play music together. And preach to him they constantly. Said, and then they said Robert started believing it. <laughs> I was like, but did he? Because I saw an interview with him and he, he says, says he, do- he says he never did. He says he never liked David, that he got on his nerves, and he just was pretending to be into it. Well, Thibodeau alleges that Rodriguez confessed to him, and maybe he's just a really good actor, that he was actually starting to believe that he was the Messiah. Mm. Well, he eventually determined, regardless of how he felt, that the cult was in fact stockpiling weapons, and a search warrant was granted. 
The key to the raid being a success was going to be the element of surprise. However, the morning of the raid, the media had been tipped off. At 8.45 a.m., a news person was driving around lost when they stopped to ask a postman where M Mount Carmel was and if he knew what was going to happen that morning. In an ironic and devastating twist of fate, the postman was a Branch Davidian. He immediately sped back to the compound and told Koresh the ATF were coming. Can you believe that? God. You just First of know. all, leave it to the media to fuck all this up. Well, that and also, you know what? Branch Davidians, they're just like us. <laughs> right. Hanging out being postman. Yeah. In another ironic twist, ATF agent Rodriguez was at the compound talking with Koresh when Koresh received the call from the postman. They did say that, that Koresh stopped Robert Rodriguez and said, hey, Robert, I know you're the ATF. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Rodriguez said it was one of the scariest undercover missions he had ever had. And he was sitting there thinking, oh, well, they're going to kill me. And he, David just shook his hand and said, good luck. And he said he shook his hand and said, good luck, David. And he started to walk out the door. And he said as he was walking to the door, all he could think was, they're going to shoot me in the back. They're going to shoot me in the back. And he got to the door and he got out and he ran to his truck and he said his hands were shaking so bad he could barely start it. But he started it and he sped off and he immediately called the ATF and said, abort, abort. They know we are coming. This is not going to work. And yet. <laughs> and yet. Operation Trojan Horse was a go. For whatever reason, the ATF did not abort. And, yes, Operation Trojan Horse, as it was known, some of them also called it Showtime, was underway. Sheriff McNamara said it went from being a surprise raid to an ambush. On February 28, 1993, at 9.45 a.m., the ATF attempted to execute a search warrant at the Mount Carmel compound for alleged sexual abuse charges, and illegal weapons violations. To say it didn't go according to plan would be a gross understatement. They said that it was supposed to be 77 agents. They practiced on a mock compound actually before this, and it was a four-step plan. They were going to go up, immediately breach the actual compound to secure the arms room and David Crush's bedroom, clear the second floor with the women. Where all the... <laughs> The magic happens. Yeah. They're like, the, there's a more than one type of uh, weapon up there. <laughs> but they were going to clear his bedroom. Step two, they were going to clear the second floor where the women and children were. Step three, they were going to clear the first floor. And step four, they were going to secure the perimeter. So it was going to be boom, 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 boom. Very yes. thought out. All good in theory. An FBI expert in the ABC special said this was a very ridiculously stupid plan. Yeah. Which is a fine thing to say. And it's an armchair quarterback, right? It's a sure. fine thing to say after the fact. Yeah. But the fact that this all hinged on it being a surprise and now the surprise is lost, they should have backed off. Yeah. And they said that the interviews with the agents in the ABC special, one of them said, you know, I just was following orders. And another one said, I should have said, we can't go. We've lost the element of surprise. We can't do this. But at the time, their commander said, You're we just have to do this. Orders. Back, political background, the ATF at the time was facing budget cuts. Yes. There was also a major expose that had been published in an Australian tabloid, if I'm not mistaken, recently, right before this, about a female ATF agent who was sexually assaulted in a parking lot. So the ATF was looking real bad. Mm -hmm. They were looking real bad. They were looking like they were going to get defunded. They were also needing money. They all, and so then if they could show that they were a useful government agency, then this was going to be their big break. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Well, the ATF attempted to breach the compound for two hours. During this time, there was constant gunfire between the agents and the Branch Davidians. They said that the agents were running up the hill and the people in the compound said it looked like little ants coming, crawling towards them and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. At the end of it, four ATF agents lay dead, 16 were wounded, and five Branch Davidians had been killed. Because ATF agents had been killed, the FBI was called and took over. Yeah, it's a murder or attempted murder of a federal agent. It's a federal crime. The FBI. The big boys come to town. Come on in. Over 900 federal authorities, including FBI, ATF, and the Texas Rangers, not our baseball team. Chuck Norris. Descended upon the compound. They set up a direct phone line to crush inside Mount Carmel and attempted to begin negotiations. Over the next two days, they successfully managed to facilitate the release of 19 children and two women. The children were not David's children. No. Which is the only reason they were allowed to leave. Yes. The standoff between the authorities and the Branch Davidians lasted 51 days, the longest siege in U.S. law enforcement history. During this time, the FBI was in constant negotiations with Koresh to get him to release his followers and come out of the compound. That A&E documentary that you watched on Hulu mm-hmm. has audio tapes of the negotiators talking with Koresh mm-hmm. in between. He had this idea of the seven seals that that was going to be. He was obsessed with the seven seals from the book of Revelation. Yes. And his he wanted to write his version of that, basically. So they hooked him up. The FBI negotiators hooked him up with two theological scholars from local colleges to help him write and come up oh, so with. he's getting a book deal. Basically. Something we're all striving for. So we just need to be a cult leader yeah, well, they and, have, and have hostages and then we'll become famous. Done and done. Okay. They asked him, what will get you to come out? And he said, the world needs to know my prophecy. The world needs to know my seven seals prophecy. And the FBI said, sure, man. Yeah, we'd love to help you. Let's get you some theologians on the phone. So they were doing this. The FBI negotiations team was doing this, but the FBI tactical team wasn't reporting that back up to Janet Reno, who, by the way, was sworn in two weeks after the siege started yeah so not a great time to come on board and bill clinton told her hey basically whatever you want to do whatever you think is right just go for it (laughs) which not an easy job no no she was actually his third choice baptism by fire yeah she was his third choice choice for attorney general because the first two he chose were found to have illegal nannies do you remember that whole scandal in the 90s when nannies they had nannies that were illegal immigrants allegedly or that were like visas had expired or something like that well, I feel like illegal immigrants not a good phrase. I wish they're I, undocumented. Undocumented. They had undocumented housekeepers. Back and then, I'm sure they referred to them as illegal. They did. Though. They did. Yeah. Well, no matter what the FBI was doing, he refused to come out of the compound. That's true. He would say, "I just need to write this, and then I'll come out." And the day would come. He and was then, like a procrastinating little shithead. He kept child. lying. He kept lying. Yeah. Eventually, they turned to more direct methods. They turned off the electricity blared loud music and shown harsh spotlights in the compound windows. They said they played Nancy Sinatra, these boots are made for walking. <laughs> and they played the sound of rabbits being strangled, which is Oh, Jesus ho- Christ. Horrible sound. Two very different <laughs> tactics. Yeah, they would play, they played uh, Buddhist monk chants. Well, that's kind of relaxing. Yeah, I would think so. Uh, and they, so they basically were using military torture oh, techniques. Uh, these are, uh, again, military tactic 101 torture techniques. Finally, Koresh agreed they would all come out if a religious message he had recorded would be broadcast on the radio. The FBI worked with a local Christian radio station and had the message played. However, even though they had met Koresh's demands, he refused to come out 
saying that he had prayed and his God told him not to leave. This is very annoying that you can just <laughs> very annoying. get messages from God. and well, Or what? our dreams, these visions in my dreams, because no one can argue with you. It's true. It's true. And it's the ultimate trump card to just say, well, God told me to do it. Exactly. Sorry, God told no, me to No, I mean, do it. how is anyone to argue with that? So they try. So they let some of these kids go. They sent them to this local Methodist church, mm-hmm. which they talk about, and they show the footage actually in the A&E documentary of these kids at this Methodist Playing church. on the playground, eating candy, St- and this one kid, drinking soda. This one little boy deep throats an ice cream sandwich, <laughs> and it's it's little. it looks like little because Heather. Because they weren't allowed to have any sugar or sodas or anything. So then they go back and show this footage to the parents who are still holed up with David Koresh saying, look at your children. They need you. Don't you want to come out? And the parents say, oh, the kids are now beasts of Babylon and (laughs) we need to stay with David Koresh even stronger now. Again, Kat Schroeder from that documentary said, if they sent us videos of our kids thinking it was going to make us come out, they didn't know who they were dealing with. We were all there to die on our sword, and I was not interested in doing what a good mother should do. I was interested in doing what God wanted me to do. And God was David Koresh. Yeah. And that's the problem was he eroded these familial bonds, husband-wife bonds, mm-hmm. parent-child bonds. He eroded them. So then when the FBI is trying to use what's a normal psychological technique of saying, if you live, you get to see your kid, mm-hmm. you have these people that go, I don't give a shit. I want to die with David Koresh. So I don't care therefore, about my kid. You're left with no negotiating Correct. tactics. Yes. On April 19th, 1993, the FBI decided enough was enough. And with the green light from Attorney General Janet Reno, moved in with 50 caliber rifles and armored combat engineering vehicles. Let me just briefly read you their arsenal that they came in with that Please. day. They came in with 10 Bradley tanks, two Abrams tanks, Four combat engineering vehicles, 660 agents, in addition to six U.S. Customs officers, 15 U.S. Army personnel, 13 members of the Texas National Guard, 31 Texas Rangers, 131 DPS officers, uh, Texas Department of Public Safety, 17 McClellan County Sheriff's officers, and 18 Waco police officers for a total of 899 people. Wow. For... How many were in the compound at this point? At that point, there were 76 left. Okay. Officially, they were only permitted to return open fire and first attempted to use tear gas to gain control of the situation. So they take these tanks and they puncture holes in the wall. And they're – also, we should point out, all of this is just being broadcast on the local news. The (laughs) media is there filming – all of this. So everyone is seeing this go down. Yes. And there's a reporter that's laying crossways in a truck bed, just yelling into a microphone saying, well, they're going in. It looks yeah. like he's just live. It's I mean, you were seeing people get shot and killed on live and TV. burned to death pretty much. Yes. Yeah. So the problem was, so CS gas is tear gas. They use that on people in the army to train them. You know, you get used to it or whatever. Normal tear gas. Correct. This tear gas was mixed with methylene chloride, which is basically like paint thinner. Mm. They used tons and tons and tons of it. And it was used on these grenades to basically they were propelled into the compound. So when you mix paint thinner with an accelerant or an ignition source, you have a just a instantaneous, uncontrollable fire. And they were using the paint thinner in it or the paint thinner like element to make it spray further when they shot it through the windows. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of debate as to who fired guns first. Yes. 
The FBI maintains the Branch Davidians fired first, causing them to increase their use of tear gas, while former Branch Davidians insist that the FBI fired first. So it's a classic he said, she said situation. Seriously. And and the question is, this Livingston Fagan man, oh. who is a survivor, claiming that they had the right to self-defense against the government. And... This is a whole thing we can get into. Get into it. Well, so Livingston Fagan, David Thibodeau talks about him in his book that he's like this genius. He's also on the Hulu documentary. He is. He's British. I think what it is is badass name. First of all, handsome, name. pretty handsome dude. And very attractive. Has aged very well. But mm-hmm. he talks with a British accent and then he says constitutionally stupid things. Everyone thinks if you have an accent, you're smarter than you yes. really are. Yes. He's like, he's, the First Amendment says that we're allowed to practice whatever religion we want. That is incorrect. You you have an unlimited right to believe whatever you want, but oh, not practice whatever you want. That's a key difference. Folks. There's a key difference. And additionally, he said, we had the right to defend ourselves against police officers. No, you did not. They had a valid search warrant. Now, whether the search warrant was valid would have been a later question. Arguably, it could have been thrown out. There's a lot of questionable issues with the search warrant, with the facts upon which it was based and mm-hmm. what's actually in the search warrant. However, if the police come to your house with a warrant, do not shoot at them. You have to let them in so they can search your house. I'm so sorry. That that's, you have what to ha- that's how the world works. That's You, you know can't what? fire at them. Correct. Your due process has come when they've gone before a magistrate with their facts and sworn statements and gotten a warrant and come in and search your house. That is how it is. So when they show up with these tanks... The right How about thing you to just do. lay your guns down and walk out the fucking door? David Koresh should have laid his guns down on day one. But they, again, they were there to die. They, he had told. From the beginning. He had told his followers from the beginning. And the survivors say that he told them eventually a government siege is going to happen. We're going to be surrounded. And there's a possibility we're all going to be burnt to death. So one might argue that he was fulfilling this prophecy so mm-hmm. he could say, yes, I was right. The apocalypse came. Look where we all now are. We he all saw- know what to do. We've all been training for this. We all have our guns. We all know what we're supposed to do. He saw what happened to stupid-ass Florence whenever she said that the apocalypse exactly. was going to come. <laughs> yeah, that's she how. thrown out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, suddenly, around 12 p.m., after gunfire had been going on for hours, three fires broke out simultaneously around the compound. With winds fanning the flames, the entire compound was burnt to the ground in less than an hour. It was also basically made of plywood. Yeah. So it was very flammable material. They also had kerosene heaters and space heaters all around. Yes. And then plus you spray this accelerant. paint thinner, tear gas. Yes. The government maintains the fires were deliberately started by the Branch Davidians in order for them to fulfill their apocalyptic prophecies. I do not think that is true. However, Branch Davidian survivors maintain that the fires were accidentally or deliberately started by the assault. Is that what you think happens? I think that they sprayed the tear gas in and when there was either gunshots or there were space heaters, yeah. they caught the place on I fire. Agree. I think it was stupidity. Only nine people left the building during the fire, which again shows just how devoted these people were. And the ATF had not done their due diligence to really know who they were dealing with when they decided to go in and, and raid in the first place. Back in February, when they had the February raid, they didn't understand just how devoted these people were to falling on their sword. Oh, and that's why Robert Rodriguez is really pissed off and to this day is super defensive because he claims that he wrote reports. He told everybody, you cannot reason with these people. Right. They are all willing to go. This is They serious. want to die. They're looking forward to 
meeting their maker. All your tactics will not work. They, You have to have the element of surprise. You have to catch them with their guns on the ground. Yes. Because otherwise they are willing to have Going it. at night when they're all fucking asleep. Seriously. And just do the thing. But no, they were all ramped up to go do it and... I'll be damned if someone's going to, you know, stop them. Yeah, yeah, we're all we're all ready to do this thing. Also, Kat Schroeder, my girl Kat, her husband, her former husband that, were, that after the new light was they were marriage was no longer recognized in their religion was killed just coming home. Well, there's a lot of debate. The branch of Indians all say he was just coming home from his day at work and had no idea what was going on and just walked into this raid. And the ATF shot him about six different ways. We didn't have cell phones back then. You can text him and say, stay away. The ATF claims he opened fire on them. Regardless, he was shot and killed. And Kat said she was jealous of him. Because he now got to go be with God. And And that's where she wanted to be. That's how indoctrinated these people were. All they fucking cared about was their God and living their truth that they thought was their truth by their God. There was no reasoning with these people. Zero zero reasoning. And in the whole apocalypse training, David Crush made the kids practice fight each other. Mm -hmm. And he taught them all how to kill themselves. They all knew how to use guns. There's there's tons of video of them using machine machine guns. That aside, which is fine, and I'm all for you teaching your kids gun safety. And if you want to have guns in your house, that's a whole other conversation. I could talk for hours about the Second Amendment. But he specifically taught these young kids how to kill themselves Mm -hmm. if they were cornered by the government he said don't put the gun to your temple you might live put it in your mouth and shoot upwards he told these kids that that's horrific so he indoctrinated them to say this is a do or die situation oh, sure if it's you versus the government you are going to die this is the apocalypse mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well like we said only nine people left during the fire the remaining branch davidians including the children were either buried alive by rubble suffocated by the effects of the fire or shot Many who suffocated from the fire were killed by smoke or carbon monoxide inhalation and other causes as fire engulfed the building. Yeah, they said that some people, the ones who were shot, it appeared that it was either suicide, consensual execution, Mm -hmm. and very rarely perhaps it was forced execution. But for the most part, it looked like it was all mercy killings. killings. And then some of them died from – many of the children died of skull injuries from rubble falling on them because they had gathered in this bunker that they thought would be safe from Mm -hmm. the fire. But the the smoke came in. Then the chemical – even if it wasn't smoke inhalation, it was the chemical burning would cause cyanide poisoning. And then, which is like a spasmatic death, which is really horrifying. Or then they were crushed by the rubble. So it was horrific. It was a horrifying. Their last moments were the worst one can have. And if you want to blame, at the top of the blame chain is David Crush. Fuck this guy. He tricked them all, tricked them, convinced them, whatever you want to call them, into this situation. Mm -hmm. And then prepared and encouraged them to die Mm -hmm. in the apocalypse and to kill their children in the apocalypse. The next people, maybe the ATF didn't do such a good job. No, they sure didn't. Here's the thing. I'm all for protecting us and backing our people that take care of us and that have to put on a uniform every day. It's fucking hard. When you watch these videos, you watch these men and women running into a dangerous-ass situation, Mm -hmm. and all they want to do is go home to their families. One of the ATF agents was one day away from his 26th birthday. 
and he got shot on the roof and mm. didn't make it. Yeah. So he got shot in the head next to his other ATF agent friend who is interviewed in the, I think in the ABC documentary. However, from the top of the chain, Janet Reno, whoever you want to blame, Bill Clinton for abdicating the authority to Janet Reno and washing his hands because it was about to be election time. Mm -hmm. Some people say Hillary Clinton gave the kill order on April 23rd because Bill didn't want to. That's a whole nother conspiracy. That's on the blame game. The parents who willingly let their kids die, but the ones who have no blame, no responsibility are these these poor kids who, when given the opportunity to go to that Methodist church, they just, just wanted a fucking candy. Wanted bar. to be, ki- they just wanted an ice they cream sandwich. They just wanted to be kids. They just wanted to be kids. And they never. They didn't want to be somebody's. The opportunity, the ones that were, the ones that died to be just normal children. Normal kids. They did say the FBI and psychologists, the kids who did survive, they said that they were on reading levels, like normal reading levels, and that they did only shown signs of lack of a family structure, that their devotion was to David Crush. Even in their little interviews, they would say, Mom and Daddy are dead. I love David. And according to the FBI, Steve Schneider, Koresh's top aide, shot and killed Koresh and then killed himself with the same gun. Footage of the blaze was broadcast live by television crews. And it's a very iconic image that I've seen numerous times this compound just going up and being engulfed in flames i just remember watching that as a kid mm-hmm. it's horrifying it's to really think. and it's it's more like you said it's more horrifying to know now as an adult just how severe that was and what was going on inside there in the end 76 branch davidians died during the april 19th siege 23 of them children Autopsy reports showed that many died from falling rubble, suffocation from the fire, or mercy killings from fellow Branch Davidians. The events at Mount Carmel spurred both criminal prosecution and civil litigation. On August 3, 1993, a federal grand jury returned a superseding 10-count indictment against 12 of the surviving Branch Davidians. The grand jury charged, among other things, the Branch Davidians had conspired to and aided and embedded in murder of federal officers and had unlawfully possessed and used various firearms. The government dismissed the charges against one of the 12 Branch Davidians pursuant to a plea bargain. After a jury trial lasting nearly two months, the jury acquitted four of the Branch Davidians on all charges. Additionally, the jury acquitted all of the Branch Davidians on the murder-related charges, but convicted five of them on lesser charges, including aiding and abetting the voluntary manslaughter of federal agents. Eight Branch Davidians were convicted on firearm charges. This is an interesting situation because they acquitted them of voluntary manslaughter and they acquitted them of the underlying felonies, but then they were charged with the adjacent gun crimes so their appeal argued that so say you're charged with arson which is a felony Mm -hmm. and the use of a firearm in that arson Mm -hmm. somehow and you're acquitted of arson then can you still be charged with the use of a firearm in the commission of a felony if you were which came first the chicken or the egg yeah if you didn't commit the felony so it's called an inconsistent verdict so it was held those get upheld a lot and that was not a successful appeal, but it was interesting that the jurors later were interviewed and said that that was a compromise verdict, that mm. most of them didn't want to totally acquit them, but didn't want to charge them with murder because yeah. they, it was this question of, was it self-defense? Not really, self-defense is not a, also, like said, how would you table. know who actually shot 
You wouldn't know which which no. person shot them. There's no way to know. You'd have to either convict none of them or all of them. Correct, because they were all using picking up one gun, dropping yeah. the other one, running around doing this. Yeah, no. In 1994, some of the survivors filed a wrongful death suit against the government. Judge Walter Smith, an overwhelmingly conservative judge, presided over the case and in 1999 convened an advisory jury that deliberated for less than two hours before finding that federal agents did not use excessive force at the siege. Wrongful death is normally a state tort. Torts are incidents between people, so you can sue someone for wrongful death or negligence or whatever. Mm -hmm. But because this was against the federal government, it's in federal court. And under the federal rules of civil procedure, a judge can convene an advisory jury, which is a non-binding jury that basically he can ask the jury, what do you guys think? But he selects the jury? And he, yes, he, cho- he d- the court can do it on their own, on its own accord called sua sponte, if you want some Latin Ooh, phrases. I always love Latin phrases. Little Latin phrases. And so the court can do it on its own motion to convene this advisory jury to basically see how things would play out. So then before he wants to file on a motion to dismiss, if he feels he can't make a decision one way or the other, you can convene an advisory jury to help decide. Okay. Okay. A week later, special counsel John C. Danforth issued a ruling that the government did nothing wrong. So this is interesting because it started to get heated. The Clintons – well, the Bill Clinton made well, – we could say the Clintons. That's true. We all know Hillary's. <laughs> I mean, right she's, she kind of runs stuff. Yeah. But they said that this was kind of a royal screw up and it caused the Democrats to lose Congress mm. because of how big of a screw up it was. John C. Danforth was a senator and a Republican, mm-hmm. just well-known Republican establishment senator and was hired to by Janet Reno mm-hmm. to act as special counsel and came back. And it is a sweepingly I can't even think of the right word for it it just exonerates the government completely yeah. it literally says they did nothing wrong they didn't shoot even one bullet it's it's it's, you, it, it's so ridiculous that it's, little, there's, it's not believable at all because of how uh, at not at fault he, he makes them it's a little bit too much mm-hmm. and Janet Reno served from the Waco siege all the way through the end of the Clinton presidency she, I think she was one of the longest serving attorney generals mm-hmm. actually and widely beloved figure, yeah. but later on admitted that she should have done things differently. Bill Clinton later on admitted that they that he should have done things different. He said we should have waited it out. We should have done something different. But the Danforth opinion is just a little. And he never came back and said, "Ah, uh, no, you're right. They they maybe they were a little at fault." He's like, "My bad, my bad." <laughs> no, he did not. Even after in like the late 1990s, I think in 1999, there were some infrared footage from helicopters that proved that they what time they shot the tear gas in and mm-hmm. when the bullets were flying and all that. Well, in 2000, Judge Walter Smith ordered that federal agents had acted legally and cannot be held liable for the deaths of the followers. Quote, no ATF agents fired any shot nor used any force against residents of the compound and the Davidians that was unprovoked. Gunfire was directed at ATF agents by both male and female adult Davidians. No ATF agent fired any shot nor used any force that was indiscriminate. And that's so, and that's that. That's, that's how what, it ended. That's what they say. So you just have these survivors now that yeah. argue the opposite that sure that they are, were victimized. That some of them have come to terms with 
Koresh was a sociopath and a madman and it in led them astray while others still believe in his teachings and if he was still alive they'd still be following him and i do just briefly again want to address the first amendment issue that they argue that they should be able to do whatever they want because it's protected under religion and that's Partially true, partially untrue. You can believe whatever you want. Correct. You the cannot freed- practice whatever you exactly, want. Exactly, exactly. So the First Amendment, you have the Establishment Clause, which the government can't establish an official religion. And then you have the Free Exercise Clause, which lets you worship however you want. And the, there's an old case from 1963 called Sherbert versus Werner that gave like a big long test. And then in 1990, it was kind of curtailed that it's okay if there's a burden on free exercise of religion as long as the burden is an unintended result of laws that are generally applicable. So to translate that, an unintended result of a law that's generally applicable would say, you can't slaughter goats at your house. So if someone says, well, I practice Santeria and I have to slaughter goats in my house, Mm -hmm. the law is that nobody can slaughter goats in their house. It's not because you practice Santeria. Correct. The law doesn't say nobody may practice Santeria and uh, doing the following things. Yes. And my apologies if Santeria does not slaughter goats, but I'm pretty sure that is one of the cases that they teach you or one of the examples that they give you Mm -hmm. in law school, which is why it's popping up in my head. So similarly, you couldn't say if you're a branch Davidian, you cannot take a wife under the age of 18. However, you can pass a law that says you can't marry children. Right. Which is the law. Correct. (laughs) Nobody can marry children. The the result, the purpose. You're not being persecuted because of your religious beliefs if that's what you're wanting to do. The compelling state interest is having safe kids, marriages that are between, you know, two people, consenting adults. And the unintended result is that you can't practice your religion, which says you're God and you need to marry your wife's 13-year-old sister. Well, then you know what? You need to, it's time to alter your religion <laughs> if that's that's what you're wanting to do. So when old Livingston Fagan gets on, this it just it just stuck in my crawl. It irks you. It just pissed me off that David Thibodeau talked about how he was this genius man. He was the smartest person he ever met. Da 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 da. He was a slick man with a British accent. Because then in the and some good good skin, his hot looks. He's got very good. He's skin. very pretty. He's a handsome guy. I mean, yeah. I'll give him that. But he gets on there and says, "We have the First Amendment. We're allowed to practice however we want." Bitch, no, you ain't. That's mm-hmm. not how it works and then subsequently the whole issue with whether or not you so people bring up all the time well this is texas don't you have the castle doctrine or stand your ground and the castle doctrine absolutely does not apply to officers discharging their duty lawfully what is the castle doctrine the castle doctrine for those of you who don't live in texas or florida is are those the only states that have it there's actually a couple i think there's like 30 maybe states I did, uh, the only research I did was on Texas. But the Castle Doctrine says that you have an absolute right to protect your house and property, and you don't have a duty to retreat if someone is encroaching on your house and property. Texas's Castle Doctrines is actually, it's very expansive, and in fact, allows you to defend other people's property that's not yours. So it's very expansive. However, Castle Doctrine does not apply to an officer serving no. you a warrant. It's if uh, somebody shows up breaks into your house in the middle of the night with a gun, you have every right to shoot that person. Correct. Don't. But not if they're an ATF agent. Correct. You're absolutely not allowed <laughs> to do, do that. that. And so, and and again, there are, Texas Penal Code does have a provision that you can defend yourself against the police. But again, it's under, it's if you're basically, you're driving, they rip you out of the car and they're starting to beat the shit out of you with their baton, allegedly under the Texas Penal Code. You can defend yourself. I would not recommend it because you just see every day footage of that not going well for anyone. 
So that's our little mini constitutional law lesson, especially about the First Amendment, because that really gets me in this case of victimization of saying, well, we're allowed to do whatever we want. You're not if it's harmful. You're not. And allowed I think to- I mean, and not just this cult, but you see that in every cult that that comes up because that's the ground that they think they have to stand on. Correct. And we you know what? Be free to believe whatever you want. Believe what you want. Don't encroach on others' rights or especially if they're children. Correct. And that's the other issue with the whole religious freedom laws and things like that is, well, I have the right to practice my religion. Well, not if it creates harm on someone else, not right. if it deprives others of their rights. Exactly. I could talk for more multiple hours about that, too. <laughs> I will not. So what do we what do we think? I mean, I think the only thing to think is this was very sad and tragic. And David Koresh was a huge piece of shit who also could shred on the guitar. I think this is another situation of a disgruntled man who wanted to be an artist who sucked at it who then found another way to express himself like hitler was shitty at painting Mm -hmm. and then became hitler david koresh could not become a rock star so he decided to start a religion it makes me think of creed which is how he's still commanding an audience at the end of the day and having immortal and having followers slash roadies whatever you want to call them groupies exactly yeah, it reminds you of what? Creed it reminds me of Creed office. from The Office when he said, I've been in many cults, both as a leader and a follower. <laughs> you have a lot more fun as a follower. We make more money as a leader. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I think that's what this is. is he wanted to be immortal. The, he was obsessed with the Bible. He was obsessed with young girls, mm-hmm. teenage girls, and never grew up. And <sighs> so many times we see cult leaders using their power for mostly sexual perverse reasons. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. And it's were they like that and that's why they became a cult leader? Or is that just how cult leaders always tend to go because it comes with control and power? Well, that's a really good question. Of Do you start a cult because you want to have a bunch of sex with a bunch of people? If you want to do that, just download a dating app. <laughs> Get on Bumble. <laughs> no, get on Tinder. <laughs> oh. Uh, but if you – or like you said, is it a result of I want power, I've started a cult, and power comes from controlling people mm-hmm. and making people wake up at 5 a.m. and cucking their wives. One of the biggest ways to control someone is through their sexuality and yes. and, and especially breaking up couples. and Yes, and convincing women that they want him. Yes. And they're lucky to be with him. <sighs> Goddamn. Yeah. So what do we think? David Koresh sucks. And he gets a golden juice award. He gets award. a golden juice award. <laughs> and that the real true victims of this are the poor children. Uh, 100%. The child- and then, and also I think the agents that were following orders that knew they were that going knew, in. And to this day say – and on that Hulu documentary, they're saying – uh, we should not have gone in. We should have immediately aborted. Once Rodriguez called and said they know we're coming, we should not have gone we in. We should have shut it down. Mm-hmm. And they recognize that to this day. Mm-hmm. You can see old Parnell McNamara, who I just – in the <laughs> He movie, got choked up too. He talking gets about up. it when he starts recalling the events of that day. He starts to get choked up and said it's just – it's all coming back to me right now. And this – I'll never – no, none of us had ever experienced anything like that. And they still haven't. I mean it was the biggest siege in U.S. government history to this day. Mm-hmm. And a small town like Waco, in comparison to Dallas, where we live, 
how many? What do you think? Waco is a third of the population. Yeah, it's pretty. I mean, it's pretty small. And then this was not even in Waco. I mean, this is in rural McClellan County. McClellan County. So it was even. They were not used to this kind of no, stuff. Going no, no, down. no, 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 no. And you can just tell. And he, like I said, he still serves to this day. Mm-hmm. This man cares about his town, Very cares much. about his county, and wanted it all to end peacefully. But what do you do when you're a sheriff and 900 state and federal agents <laughs> come in and say, well, we're going to burn this place down. Yeah. You have to just tip your hat and say, I'll be over here if you need mm-hmm. me. Exactly. Well, that's the Branch Davidians, the Waco siege, the whatever you want to call it. If you're young and you didn't know what it was before, hopefully you know what it is now. Yes. And Waco now is all about Magnolia brands. <laughs> now you can go and it's a much nicer place. You can go visit Chip and Joanna Gaines. You could also just go to Target if you want some of their shit. It's a lot easier than driving out there. So we got some shout outs. Mentioned Jennifer earlier for her Waco ties and giving us some little inside information about some of that stuff. So I also want to t- shout out Taylor, who lived in Waco, a friend of ours, friend of the show. Oh, She told me that the, some people allege that they feel spirits or negative energy and Ooh. activity around the Mount Carmel site, which is not surprising. No, not at all. Also, we went, of course, to the Dallas Psychic Fair yesterday. That's right. We had some listeners and friends come, Megan, Darby, and Julia. And then Heather and I were just sitting there talking with Heather's wife, Leanne, who was also there, (laughs) when another listener came up to introduce herself to us. And she had come specifically because she heard us talking about it on the show. It was so nice to meet her. So nice to meet her. Her name was Elizabeth. She shouted us out on Twitter later. It was very nice meeting you. But that just goes to show, if you come say hi to us at the Dallas Psychic Fair, we will talk to you. Oh, we had a great conversation about this. I gave her a little sneak pre- oh, preview. Oh, see, you might also get a little sneak peek. A little sneak preview. Doing. And she had some great ideas for future episodes, which I have written down. Very nice. I, As soon as she came up and introduced herself, I immediately, my reading started. So I wasn't able to stay and talk to her as long as I would have liked. But the reading was very good. You can hear about it on our mini-sode. Mm-hmm. Also from Instagram, at the Annie D and Michaela in West Virginia. She emailed us. She was about to take the bar. Yes. Heather gave her some very good advice. About to graduate from law school. Congratulations. She also grew up in West Virginia and loved the Mothman and had a lot of theories about it and really liked the episode. I love it. If you have any personal experience with any of our topics, feel free to email or DM us. We love to hear about it and we will gladly discuss it with you. Mm -hmm. And we always reply. Another Instagram at Jedi Pixie. She made another beautiful cross stitch with our keep it creepy saying and some little skeleton hands. I love those little skeleton hands. They are so cute. The massive, hugest shout out. If you have not gone to her Instagram, if you don't have an Instagram, set it up for this reason. Get it just for this. My brother-in-law slash friend for life slash friend of the show and loyal listener, Aaron, of Aaron's Custom Pyrography on Instagram, burnt us this wooden plaque that is the Sinisterhood name, but it looks like a Ouija board and it has our slogans on it. And it is some of the most... Beautiful, beautiful woodwork artwork I have ever seen, and it's not just because he did it. It's so amazing. It really is. It It'll take your mind. breath away. It's amazing. So go on our Instagram and look at it, and then go follow him because he burns all kinds of good shit. He also oh, he's burned extremely talented. He burned me a cutting board with Lionel Richie's face on it <laughs> that says "Hello, is it me you're cooking for?" And it's very good. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, he does some great custom work, and 
He's also very nice and funny. And he's burning me some motorcycle gloves that I can't wait to reveal on Instagram when they're done. Ooh. Some, like leather gloves? They're leather riding gloves. Ooh. He's burning in uh, some pretty funny stuff on it. Oh, funny stuff. Very well, it's fun. Well, it's a law joke. <laughs> There's nothing funnier than the law. Nerd. <laughs> well, the best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And tell a friend who you think would like to check us out means so much to us and it really really helps small podcasts like us get more exposure you can also follow us on instagram so you can see our badass wood piece and on twitter at sinisterhood pod and you can like us on facebook at sinisterhood you can find me on instagram at christy m wallace or twitter at christy or gtfo heather where are you i'm at heather vs the world on instagram and at mck vs the world on twitter i've been tweeting a lot of funny stuff lately. you've been you've been it's on probably a, not funny a, but i think it's I think funny it's funny you've been on a twitter rant i don't tweet as much as maybe i should but i'll try to be better about it i'll go on i'll go on bursts where i'll just get on and i'll like a bunch of tweets and maybe tweet one thing and then like a week goes by. I feel like I you have again. a lot of hot takes that would be good tweets, but yeah. you're just not tweeting them. I don't usually. usually. So my dad, can I just briefly tell this story? Yeah. I, my dad is so funny. He would write down on a piece of paper <laughs> to keep it in his pocket what he wanted to make Facebook statuses. Oh, so that's he, so sweet. I remember one time he came to me and said, I need to type these Facebook statuses <laughs> Like what? All at once, he just have to do twenty statuses just in a row. Yes, because his work phone wasn't like an iPhone; it was just like a little Nokia uh-huh. cookie. What do they call them? A candy bar phone? Like just yeah, a, yeah, the, yeah. And so he couldn't Facebook throughout the day, so he would write one of his paper. It was so good. Oh, and I bet they were funny too. They were very. My dad. So you got to do that. Get your piece of paper, write your tweets down, and then just log in. And I think tweet that's great. I will think about something, and then the next day. Like, I'll think about a Facebook status or a tweet and just hold on to it. And keep it? Yeah, I do. do but I just do it in my mind instead of writing it down. Get you a notepad. I would also like to shout out myself real quick. For the past two episodes, I have not cried. Congratulations. <laughs> but I did cry many, many times over the weekend. Although one of the psychics during my reading said that there has been a new moon in Capricorn, which made everyone very emotional, but specifically Uh. Capricorns. And it was well known within the psychic community that it was a very emotional time. So the moon made you cry. I think the moon made me cry. So mean. Uh, But I'm, I'm feeling a little better now, but, uh, pretty proud of myself that i didn't cry we did have listeners session. say that they were going to start a count a christy cry oh, count. Yes. i've also had listeners say my favorite thing is how many times you cry we need to have one of those boards like they have where it says there's been zero days since an accident <laughs> we've had two episodes since crying oh i'm gonna start that board right now yes that way we can keep the count up as always the devil rules the airwaves mm, keep it creepy Sin-